with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, good whatever you are. Welcome to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. I am Ron Kolick, your host on New England's own Van Helsink. And with me is nobody except my special guest, Chetan Noah. Chetan, Chetan. I can't. Uh, yes, Chetan uh, Noah. Yes. Chetan Noah. It's like, it just reminds me of uh, Adam Schiffel and Morticia. You know, when he, he speaks a name, uh-huh. it sends shivers up his spine. Anyway, <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining us. And you are an author and you are also a cryptologist. Crypt, yeah, cryptologist. Crypt, okay. Cryptozoologist, yep. Thank you a lot. This, you know, two, two hours in a row is a little tough for me for an old man. But anyways, uh, uh, yes. So. How did you get involved in all this? Uh, you know, when you how did you get involved with it? How did you? What was your interest? So I get I get asked that question a lot on podcasts, and so for cryptozoology, it dates or it goes all the way back to when I was a child, and I live in Michigan, and during the summer times, my family our our summer vacations would be camping, so. One particular summer, my parents had found a new campground, and it was called Crystal Lake. And reason being, the the lake was crystal clear. Um, cool. You could you could go out um, several hundred feet and still see the bottom of the lake. So it was it was very pretty, um, but it that didn't last very long because one of the I don't want to say perks of that campground, but one of the attractions of that campground was there was a six foot alligator that they had in a dog kennel that had a, had a small cement pool in it. And they would tell all the kids that they caught it on the lake. So uh, that summer I was not going swimming. I was not going fishing. Don't you dare ask me to go out on the dock or in the boat or anything because if there's one alligator out there, there's more. And you weren't convincing eight-year-old me of anything else. Mm-hmm. So that, that was traumatizing to begin with. Um, and, you know, now being older, I realize that they don't last very long in Michigan with our cold weather. Um, but one of the weekends that they were there, um, they decided for family movie night to show the Patterson-Gilman film and The Legend of Boggy Creek back to back. And so I was terrified. I was hiding in the women's bathroom until two very nice older women came in and asked me, you know, what was wrong. And I told them and they escorted me back to our our truck camper. And after that, I couldn't get enough information on them. Um, And this was this was back, you know, 80s, 90s when Internet was not around. So. Basically, if you could find a magazine, like Fate Magazine, um, you could read that. Oh, yeah. 
or you'd go to the bookstore and you'd find those um, books and every uh, every chapter of the book would be on a different paranormal or cryptid or high strangeness um, matter. So, um, and the books never really changed a whole lot. You might find a, you know, a paragraph different here or, you know, a sentence different there, but it was a beginning of just gathering as much knowledge as I could. And back in that time period, everything was called new aged. Um, now everything is in categories. So you've got the paranormal, you've got cryptozoology, you've got ufology, you've got high strangeness. Um, each one has its own category and, um, you know, people really, you know, divide it by hairs sometimes. And then for the paranormal, um, my interest with that started when pretty much knew that ghosts were a real thing. Um, after having my, uh, grandmother come to me, um, and tell me that she had passed away and being able to relay the message to my parents and getting confirmation that yes, she had passed away within a few hours of, um, me telling them. So that's where my, and that, that happened at a very young age too. Um, so that is what has led me to current day of having a fascination and a curiosity about the things that people say, oh, that's not real, but we have evidence. We have enough eyewitness testimonies to say otherwise. Mm-hmm. Now, we, we have this fear, uh, the human does, and I don't know if it goes all the way back to the bear in the cave thing, but uh, we have this fear of creatures in itself. I mean, you know, I like my brother, my older brother, doesn't go swimming in the sea because he's afraid of sharks in the sea. And, you know, yep. uh, but we all have this little fear. Other people with snakes or spiders. Yep. Uh, oh, trust me, I, I, I had ball pythons for years and was used to handling them and, you know, was not afraid of my own snakes. But out hiking, if a snake, you know, suddenly slithers across the path, yeah, I'm jumping in, you know, and and because uh, uh, I'm not prepared for it. I'm not ready for that, that, you know, snake, that wild snake to come slithering across the path. Because one, you don't know what species it is. Is it poisonous? Is it not? Until you get a good look at it. And that first initial response, yeah, you, you have, I, I call them jump scares. Um, you know, just like in the haunted houses, it's like, Ooh, you know, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. The cryptozoology of all the ones, uh, maybe UFOlogy too, but, uh, I, I think, crypt- well, I mean, we look at Bigfoot and we try to, we put Bigfoot off by itself, but it's Bigfoot is really a cryptoid. Well, it's, uh, so Bigfoot it is classified by a, as a cryptid, but there is enough evidence in the fossil record to pretty much prove that there is more than one species of upright walking primate. So mm-hmm. we all think that humans are the other only upright walking primate, but if you look closely at the primate family tree, you can see that 
it's not really a tree. It's a shrubbery and there are lions going everywhere. So for us to think that we're the only bipedal, you know, primates walking around, I think is ignorance um, because there is evidence that there is more out there and we just have not encountered them in a way that can be documented, can be showcased, and scientific knowledge can be gained from it. Right. I mean, the, even the human, the, this, you know, it, it's not a straight line. I mean, we have the Neanderthal and we have the Cro-Magnon. I mean, yes, right. It's it's not a straight line in itself. Uh, so, I mean, I think there are a lot of creatures out there. Cryptoids are, are intriguing. I'm very much intrigued by uh, the... Uh, lake monsters and sea monsters. Uh, there's a lot of similarities uh, in the reports of, uh, of them. So it, it gives credence that there may be something there. What it is exactly uh, is not known. It may be just an unknown species, or it may be a species that we thought was... Um, uh, what's the word? Extinct. Thank you, dear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it, it's... It, to me, cryptoids are interesting, very much interesting. And and you cover a wide variety because I, I was looking at, you know, you have a couple of books. So what, what are your books, by the way, Ms. Sweet? Um, so book-wise, I have um, available right now, I have Lake Monsters and Odd Creatures of the Great Lakes. And then I have Flying uh, Cryptids of the Midwest Beyond Mothman. But I also produce several magazines including Squatch GQ, um, Cryptozoology Digest, Into the Liminal Abyss Paranormal Magazine, Dinosaurian Prehistoric Creatures Magazine, and Rock, Hound, and Prospector Magazine. Oh, my gosh, you are a busy woman. <laughs> yes. Plus, yeah. I, I, I do speaking engagements, and I um, teach for different um, brick-and-mortar colleges and um, online um, uh, colleges. And uh, if somebody wants to find out more about you, what's the best way of doing it? Um, you can find me on Facebook under Shatan Noir. Um, you can find my website. On, um, if you type in Shatan Noir Cryptozoologist, you can find my books on Amazon. If you type in Shatan Noir, you can find my magazines that I produce on Amazon. If you type in Squatch G. Q magazine, and that will bring up everything that I offer magazine-wise, um, uh, research journal-wise, um, travel journal-wise. Um, I've got, you know, several different things that I offer. And you spell that just so that, you know, people Squatch. aren't confused like well, me. Squ <laughs> no, uh, your name Squatch? first. Your name oh, first. My name. <laughs> okay. my name is S H E T. A N N O I R. Wow. Sounds French. Yep. Noir is French for black. Um, and then Squatch, S Q U T C H, and then just um, the letters G Q and magazine. Yeah. So check it all out. Uh, we'll put the link up on, uh, of your main website on our uh, Facebook page so people can find you there. And then they can, I'm sure they can find this other location from your main website too, right? Yes. 
Yeah, okay, so that, that's great. Um, so the Great Lakes, you know, a lot of people don't realize the size of the, the Great Lakes. And well, we have we have within our five Great Lakes, um, six if you consider Lake Champlain, we have three of the largest fresh bodied lakes in the world. So um, our smallest lake, our shallowest lake is Lake Erie. And when I say shallow, it, you know, we're talking just over 480 feet deep. As compared to as compared to Lake Superior, that is in different areas of the lake, it can be over eighteen hundred feet deep. I mean, we're talking about regular sized ships, the ocean sized ships running on these lakes and, oh, and yeah, car yeah. carrying cargo, carrying passengers. Yeah, we've got giant Lakers um, freighters that. Um, do you know routes all over the Great Lakes? Um, we have thousand foot yachts that sail the Great Lakes. We have cruise ships that um, do different ports along the Great Lakes lakes and do a cruise. Um, and they are full sized cruise ships, like you would see in like Bahamas or Alaska. Um, so when you consider how big those ships are. And they fit quite well into our Great Lakes. And there's mm -hmm. lots of them. Now, I saw, I think it was an ad on Facebook or something that you were doing some cruise. Or did I misread that? Um, I was going to do it. It wasn't a cruise. Um, for the okay. online uh, colleges that I teach for, I, ah, did, okay. I did a class on shipwrecks of the Great Lakes um, last week. So... I, I offer that um, class, you know, throughout the year, but um, that is one of one of my most popular ones. Um, and the lake monsters would be the most popular. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's something you should do. Look at as a cruise ship. Uh, that would be fun. A, a paranormal cruise. Uh, talk about yeah, lake. Uh, that would be that would be interesting. Um, not quite sure how I would go about setting up a. Um, a cruise for lake monsters, um, you know, because they they don't exactly show up on demand, you know, when you call them or you know demand them to. So. Right, but you know, we did. Uh, I, I am a, on the board member of the Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse, and and we do fundraisers all the time for them. One of the things we always do is a, a pirate and uh, sea, uh, pirate and sea monster cruise, and that's exactly what we do. Is we go out in the ocean, we we stop at various islands, we we talk about some of the legends, we talk about uh, some of the beasts that uh, reports that of various sea serpents that were recorded and stuff. So it, it can be done, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a, it's always popular too. It's it's always always popular. People love their pirates and they love their sea serpents. <laughs> oh yes, yes they do. Mm -hmm. Yes, so I teach a class um, on Pirates of the Great Lakes. And, oh, you do? Um, oh, yes, because we have several different um, pirates uh, that have been here in the Great Lakes, um, including Calico Jack, um, Roaring Beyond Servi, uh, James Strand. So those are just a couple of the uh, more colorful names of pirates who have been here in the Great Lakes. 
It's funny, you don't, well, outside of your area, you don't associate pirates with the Great Lakes. I mean, you, you, you certainly, the, the Caribbean and the East Coast uh, and even the, the Pacific, but you very but seldom that, associate outside of your area. Yeah, well, back in the 1700s and early 1800s, they actually could get away with it because the lake shorelines were still not very well known. And one of the tried and true practices was to set up a fake harbor. Ah. And you would lure an unexpected, you know, ship and its crew in. And then as they crashed on the rocks and made for the beaches, thinking that there was a town ahead. Well, when they'd get there, they would realize, um, no, those are lanterns hung in trees. Mm -hmm. So it made the impression of a town. And then while the ship is resting on the rocks, the pirate ship would come along, steal everything off of it and sail off. Yeah. In the East Coast, we have uh, what they call moon curses, and that's exactly what they do. They would put out the lights on the beach, and then the, the ships would get too close to the rocks and crash. Then they would climb aboard, and uh, they would murder everybody on board and uh, steal all the cargo. But they were called moon curses because of the full moon, they could, uh, the ship's captains and, and crew could see that it wasn't a lighthouse or a right. Yeah. So that that's... It's interesting stuff, but um, so you have your stories, uh, ghost stories too. Are you you ever get into the ghost stories of the the Great Lakes as well, or is it just the oh, yep. so I I actually so the college course that I teach um, for the brick and mortar colleges is actually the paranormal history of the Great Lakes, and it's broken down into different categories. But I cover haunted lighthouses. Ghost ships, oh, wow. ships, shipwrecks, UFO activity, lake monsters, Sweet. Uh, pirates, um, different legends of the Great Lakes, mm -hmm. um, some of the the heroes of the Great Lakes who have done, um, you know, been acknowledged for saving, you know, multiple lives. Um, so, yes, I, I I talk I can talk quite a bit about the paranormal activity of the Great Lakes. And uh, is this course available only in person or is it is available online it as well? Is, so it is, I offer it twice a year through Kellogg Community College here in Michigan and um, maybe once a year at Owens Community College in Perrysburg, Ohio. And then if you join a, um, if you join University Magica, um, you'll find links to it on uh, my Facebook page. You will see different classes that I offer, and I do take presentations from my course, and I present those um, as one-hour classes um, through University Magica, and those classes are only $10 to take. So if oh. you're interested in the Great Lakes, if you want to know more about the the history of it um you know this is a a fun easy you know class to take and it's done through zoom so it's it's very easy to attend and um you know most people just uh you know they they tune in and put their screensaver on and so they just listen to me talk and look at the presentations and, you know, they could be eating dinner or doing their laundry or whatever. Um, but it's, it's, uh, you know, 
uh, easy way to take the class without committing to driving to the school and, you know, going out, disrupting your day. You can just do this, you know, wherever you have a, a Wi-Fi yeah, connection. You know, that's one good thing that came out of the pandemic was uh, the Zoom uh, conferences, Zoom uh, seminars and so forth. Uh, you know, so many people are involved in them now. And, and they, it's great because they can reach, you know, so many people uh, that like, I, I don't know, I'm sure you have when you've done local events be pr prior to Zoom and uh, people say, oh, if I only live closer, if I only think at least with this, no matter where you are, you can go and you can enjoy the, the presentation, the seminar, whatever is, is presented. Yes. So what yeah, yeah, you make so much easier. Yeah. So that's that's pretty cool. Now, one of the things I noticed on your thing, you mentioned the Dogman Project. What what exactly is the Dogman Project? So the North American Dogman Project was established because we in cryptozoology, we've been getting more and more reports of Dogman than Bigfoot. And for a long time, people thought that there was just one Bigfoot and he ran ran around the country. And that was, you know, what they thought was out there. But educating people that know there is a huge population of both Bigfoot and Dogman, and they are all over not only our country, but the world. And just like human beings from different places in the world have different characteristics, so do the Bigfoots and Dogmen. They are not all the same color. They are not all the same physical appearance. Their behavior patterns are different depending on what um, areas of the world that they live in. And so the North American Dogman Project is similar to the um, BFRO that takes Bigfoot reports and investigates Bigfoot sightings in the fact that we aim to collect evidence do investigations, help educate people when possible, and spread the knowledge that there isn't just Bigfoot out there walking around the woods. There is a, another upright primate, and, or I mean um, cryptid, and that would be Dogman. So what is the difference between uh, a Dogman and a Bigfoot? So Bigfoot is a primate very ape-like in appearance, and the dog man is a upright walking canine. Okay. So, so how, what is, once again, the difference between them? How would one know which is which? Okay. So a Bigfoot, you're looking at a domed head, no visible ears, a flat human-like muzzle or face, broad shoulders, a large um, buttocks because they have to support that, you know, core muscle and keep themselves upright. More human looking legs and humanish arms. Okay. With a dog man, what you will see is a animal that is just as tall, but a leaner build, a longer snout, just like. A German Shepherd or a Siberian Husky, mm -hmm. usually ears that stand up, a noticeable tail, 
Now there four or their arms um, do have a human like function. They have claws, but they have appendages that will will work. They can grasp things, they can throw things, they can turn a doorknob. But their legs are different in the fact that it looks more like a standing canine. And so it has that angulation to it like you would see with a dog. And they have a larger foot than you will see with any canine. Okay, we are coming up to the break right now, but uh, uh, I want to go a little bit into... uh, are they hairy as a a, uh, a Bigfoot? Yes, I mean both. They're they're used to living out in the elements, so they have a coat just like a dog would have. Whereas the Bigfoots have fur, just like a ape, gorilla, or orangutan will have, um, and it covers their whole body. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, so we're coming up to the break, so we're going to take a break right now. Uh, You're listening to uh, Ghost Chronicles Next Generation right here on Tojinet, and wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple or, I don't know, Spotify or wherever it is. And we are brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 286 Merrimack Street, Bethune, Massachusetts, the Glant Messier Family Law Group, uh, 15 High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts, and our very good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. Uh, become a supporter, just like the PBS, and support the show. Uh, I am speak. I am Ron Kolick, and I am speaking with Satan, the Shetan, Shetan Noah, uh, right here on uh, Ghost Chronicles. And boy, I dragged it all very badly. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you can. We'll be right after the break, and uh, we'll be back. Okay. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the medium of the Ghost Box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Para-X Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing, although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. 
Well, moustache, I'm required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. And we are back. I almost didn't say anything. I'm so used to Van being here. Anyways, we are back. I am Ron Kolick, uh, and this is Ghost Chronicles Next Generation right here on Tojinet. My special guest is Shutdown Noah. Uh, so just before the thing, we were talking about the Dogman and the Sasquatch. When did the first reports of the Dogman start to appear? So everybody who is following cryptozoology and is interested in Dogman, is also knowledgeable that Linda Godfrey was really the first one who started documenting the presence of these creatures um, with a creature that they called the Beast of Bray Road in Elkhart, Wisconsin. And this went back to the 70s that she started actually documenting this as a newspaper reporter and Eventually, she ends up at the local animal control there in um, Elkhorn, uh, Horn, Wisconsin. And she inquires about all of these reports of a dog creature. And they essentially just hand her a, I believe it was a two-inch thick file labeled werewolf. And so that is when we, we really start looking more at the dog man as a flesh and blood real creature and not something of folklore and superstition. Um, you know, the legend of the werewolf says that on a full moon, the human being turns into a werewolf and uh, rampages around the countryside. And then when the moon wanes, they turn back into the human being. But with the dog man, we are looking at a creature that stays in that form. 24-7, it doesn't matter what the moon cycle is, what time of the year it is, uh, male or female, they are always this upright walking canine creature and not a human being transforming into a canine uh, humanoid creature. Okay. I mean, there are so many different creatures. I mean, we have the swamp man, we have the goat man, we have the, uh, you know, I mean, you name it, we've got some type of we have the Dover Dover demon. Are they all related in some way, or are they just totally different species? Totally. So there, there's lots of possibilities with cryptozoology, and when we step away from what is physically, biologically, naturally possible your Bigfoot, your lake monsters like plesiosaurs, um, your flying cryptids like pterodactyls, big giant thunderbirds, then we are left with the oddities, like the Dover Demon, as you just mentioned. And there is 
some stock to be put into the theory that thought forms can become real. And if you have enough people hoping to see something or wanting to see something and convincing themselves that something's out there, then it is believed within both the scientific community, the spiritual community, and a populist, you know, that contains both, that you can manifest that into being. And that is the explanation that we have for some of these more interesting or odder cryptid reports, or even some of the paranormal reports that we get of a location that, you know, take for instance, a location where nobody's ever died there. It is a newer home. The ground never had anyone buried on it. Mm-hmm. And yet, if you have somebody who believes that their house could be haunted and starts to worry about it enough, starts to put enough stock in it, then that energy starts to build up and suddenly that house is haunted. Right. That's an example of that is what the haunted house project they did in Canada, uh, where they created a ghost Uh uh, are you familiar with that? You must be familiar with that, right? I, I've heard of there. There's a couple of different um, cases and reports of you know a group of people coming together, mm-hmm. and if you know they put enough energy into it, mm-hmm. the end result was they got a haunting or they had something manifest, and. I would say that probably 15% of what people see with the paranormal and cryptozoology could possibly be something that somebody else made manifest, put enough thought and energy into, and this thing is now running around our dimension, and people occasionally glimpse it, which is just enough for them to further the story of it and once that person is telling other people about it and planting that seed of idea in there of oh my gosh if i drive down this road i might see this thing then that's where that thing is going to be and that's where it's going to manifest mm-hmm. which is i mean that, that in reality could be why some people see ghosts and some people don't is that in 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 on that same line, they actually manufactured the ghosts. They actually believe in ghosts and they they come to a situation where they're scared or, or they, they don't like something or they don't feel right. And then they start seeing or experiencing paranormal material. Mm-hmm. And, once, and if something is energy-based, like most paranormal is, the more energy you put out, the stronger it gets. So case in point, um, Mansfield Reformatory in Ohio Mm -hmm. is a former prison. I think part of it is still a working prison, but they do ghost hunts there. They do ghost tours there throughout the year. But in the fall, they turn it into a ticket, you know, buy a ticket and get scared haunted house. Mm -hmm. And when you have thousands of people going through that 
Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, sometimes Sunday night. And everybody's getting scared. Everybody's admitting, you know, emitting that fear, that energy that builds up every entity in that location. And that location can be empty. No tours go for, for all of winter. And come spring, they're getting activity left and right because those spirits have all that energy built up and they're just waiting. That makes sense in a way. I mean, I, I a lot of it has to do with energy. You're absolutely right with that. I remember the Houghton Mansion out in North Adams. We did the first investigation there, and we, you know, we had certain results. We came up with certain things, and then uh, the the Masons uh, started their own group, and they started doing ghost tours and ghost hunts there. And eventually, uh, Ghost Hunts USA started doing th things in there, and we were there several times after that and each time it seemed to change it doesn't didn't seem like it was the same place it was it, the atmosphere had totally changed and i think a lot of that has to do with with everybody bringing the the energy with them for lack of a better word and uh actually changing the the atmosphere of that particular place as as happens in a lot of other places and and that is exactly you know what happens because you can't monitor everybody who goes into the haunted location and you never know what everybody's intention is. You could have one or two people in one room asking for the ghosts or the spirits there to show a sign of their presence, which is innocent, you know, in, you know, in the whole broad spectrum of paranormal investigating. But then down the hall, you could have somebody trying to sneakily, um, and you know, open a portal and bring in a demonic entity mm -hmm. just to see if they can do it. In another part of the the haunted location, you can have somebody, um, you know, moving the ghosts onto the next plane. Right. And what they don't realize is, yes, you can move those ghosts on, but something else is going to come to replace it. So when you have this happening, and you have different groups doing different things all throughout a haunted location yes the energy changes the ghosts change and who they originally said oh this person haunts this place that that entity may not even be there anymore but something else has replaced it and might act like that but eventually it's going to reveal itself to be something else and you don't know if it's a human entity you don't know if it's non-human you don't know if it's demonic there or if it's a thought form that somebody's just planted there and it grows with the energy and so it's very hard especially now that paranormal investigating has become so very popular um everybody is into it everybody wants to go do it and haunted locations actually make pretty good money doing this you know renting out their their um locations on a nightly basis to different paranormal teams but you don't have the original ghosts that were at the location very rarely are still there it is something new and different that's replaced those and you really have to know what you're doing when you go into one of those locations because they're not attached to that location they can easily follow you home 
Yeah. So anyway. All right. So I want to go back to the Great Lakes again. Uh, since okay. That's your home turf. And what is the best reported sighting of a sea monster or a lake monster in, in, the, in the Great Lakes? So I would say for the very best recorded lake monster sighting would actually be back in the 1970s. And it's up in um, the Straits of Mackinac, which is where Lake Michigan flows into Lake Huron. And people were calling into the sheriff's department reporting a sea serpent. And the sheriff's office received 20 plus reports uh, from different people calling in claiming that there was a sea serpent. So sheriff's deputies went out to the local beach and documented that, yes, indeed, they believe that there was at least five sea serpents frolicking in the water. One of the sheriff's deputies actually obtained a small watercraft and was able to get within 25 feet of one of the creatures. But then it dove underneath the water and swam away and popped up about 100 feet away. And he could never get close enough to them to determine what they were, how long they were. He was only able to ever see their heads and a portion of the middle of their body. But when you have sheriffs involved and it's documented, there's a police report on it. Um, that's a pretty substantial, you know, piece of evidence. And um, not to mention, you know, 20 different people calling into the sheriff's department saying, um, there's something out here in the water. Could you come check it out? I think the Coast Guard would have been a better phone call, but um, the police did, you know, um, the county, you know, sheriffs did show up and, you know, were investigating it and actually went out, you know, into the lake body uh, to see if you know they could determine what it was right that that sounds pretty cool um what where was that again once again 1972 yeah. so that was in the 1970s and it was it was in the body of water that we call the straits of mackinac which is where lake michigan runs underneath uh the mackinac bridge into lake huron and lake huron is most to me it's most well known for its sea serpent reports um because of the way that the body of water moves um it's part you know it becomes part of the saint uh clear river and part of the detroit river and so it's very fast moving water so the sea serpents seem to do better in that fast moving water um, lake michigan is known for its giant turtles lake superior has a wide variety of creatures, um, giant fish, plesiosaur type creatures, um, the great underwater panther in a Vishu, uh, a merman type creature. Um, yeah. um, Erie has South Bay Bessie, which is supposed to be a plesiosaur type thing, um, giant fish, um, supposedly a sea hag. And then Lake O'Neill or Lake Ontario has more of the Native American um, lake monsters, which are kind of an amalgamation of things, but um, O'Neill and uh, Gassendia and Carcagna are two um, creatures that are said to frequent the Canadian uh, lakesides and Lake Ontario. And are these in your, your book? Yes, yes. 
Okay, so check out the book if you want to find out more about some of these creatures. And there's quite a few. Uh, so that's more than I thought. <laughs> Uh, so I want to get back to your other book, which is about flying cryptoids. Uh, we all know the Mothman, of course. Uh, it's you know it's famous because of so many the Mothman prophecies and, and yes. everything else. But uh, what other flying creatures are uh, flying around? In our- so in in my book, um, flying uh, cryptids beyond Mothman. Um, of course, I do have the West Virginia Mothman in there. I have mm-hmm. a brief chapter on the Lake Michigan Mothman or the Chicago Mothman. Are they and then, similar? Repeat that. Are they similar? Um, I don't believe so. I believe that the West Virginia Mothman, because there are so many different reports, you know, dating back to the initial sightings and still to this day, Mm-hmm. That's the original one, and the Lake Michigan one. I, I want to say that's more hoaxes that are reported, um, just because of the locations of the sightings, and you're telling me that this creature is appearing around the Chicago skyline, and only one or two people are seeing it. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I, I kind of question that. But in the book, um, I have chapters on thunderbirds, mm-hmm. uh, both the Native American thunderbird and a real-life report uh, from Lawndale, Illinois, of a 10-year-old boy almost being carried off by a gigantic uh, feathered bird. Yeah, I mean, there are, there are reports of, of children being in South America, especially being carried off. But, I mean, how does the Thunderbird differ from, like, the condor or, or uh, some so of the, the other giant vultures that are out there? And so the so the if you look at the Native American legends of the Thunderbird, the Thunderbird was very um, genuine and peaceful. It was the protector of the humans. It protected the humans from the great underwater panther, Inabishu, who was um, the keeper of the netherworld and brought sunshine, brought, you know, the rains when we needed them. And so that was actually a very beneficial spirit. But. When you're looking at like the the um, Lawndale, Illinois report, you're looking at a gigantic bird that, if you look at the description of it, it matches a condor or a um, vulture, and but this would have been a bird of immense wingspan to carry off a ten year old child, or at least attempt to pick him up and carry him. You know, I think it carried him about thirty feet before. He was able to freak himself. Um, so this would have been a gigantic, uh, you know, bird. And it was spotted, you know, for about two weeks afterwards. And then it was also, there was also a smaller version of it, a mate possibly, that was flying around with it. So we don't know quite where it came. Did it come from South America? Because right around that time is when they were cutting down rainforests. And so... Did it fly up from South America and just decide, oh, the Great Lakes look like a good place to to live yeah. for a while, and then decided, nope, it's too cold. We're going back to where we came from. Um, so I have chapters on both the Native American Thunderbird and real life possible Thunderbirds, but also um, gargoyle type creatures. Um, the Butler County Gargoyle of Pennsylvania, the Freedom Township, um, Ohio uh, 
you know, creature that is kind of similar to the Butler County and might be a creature that actually is migratory. Um, Native American legends about giant owls, right. um, things like the Snallygaster, um, living pterosaur reports. So it really, um, I covered more than just Mothman. Each chapter is devoted to a different type of flying cryptids. And I even included things like the Flatwood Monster in there um, because it was said to be a flying creature. So that, you know, there's a chapter in there, you know, about the Flatwood Monster and the, you know, the, the eyewitness report of it and what, you know, people in the town. What, what know, is the Flatwood? And, I, that's what I'm not familiar so, with. So the Flatwood Monster, the best way to describe it is an ice cream cone looking. <laughs> alien that was red and green in color and a group of young boys saw its air or its spacecraft crash and they along with their mother a family friend and their dog went up to investigate it and they reportedly smelled a very um putrid smell that made them all very sick Somehow the dog got some of the spacecraft's liquid on it. The dog ended up dying within a few days. And all of them exhibited a sickness afterwards. But the scariest thing was they saw said they saw this creature floating towards them. And it was hovering above the ground. And it basically looked like a upside-down ice cream cone. With a rounded head and had these mechanical arms, and it it was trying to pursue them. So they ran back down the the hillside from where they saw it, back to their house, and all of them were sick for days afterwards. Like I said, the dog actually ended up dying after exposure to it, and they called the local authorities. It was actually investigated by Project Blue Book, and whether they collected the evidence and lied about it or the creature was able to depart and get its spacecraft, you know, back off of Earth. Um, you know, the, they tried to discredit the, the family involved and say, oh, it was just a flying owl and, and you guys were drinking, um, which really probably wasn't the case at all. Because how would you explain the dog then getting so sick that it died? Um, and the illnesses that all, you know, the young boys, the mom and the family friend, you know, exhibited. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this there's lots of different reports of strange beasts around, which are uh, the other one you mentioned was the gargoyle wind, which was. Uh, how would that vary, vary from the other ones? I mean, that sounds. So the, the Butler the Butler County Gargoyle is described as just that, a gray, concrete gray looking gargoyle that's about seven foot tall. And people have have seen it and they initially think that it's just a statuary or a, um, you know, sculpted lawn piece. And they will drive past it and it will start moving. But then when they drive back, either the next from, you know, past that location the next morning 
couple hours later, this very huge statue that they thought was a statue is gone. And no impressions are left in the ground. People have seen it flying around. Um, it's very well, I mean, it's well, very well documented in Butler County, uh, Pennsylvania. It's also known as the Chakara gargoyle. So it, um, if you're interested in, you know, the, the gargoyle reports, um, definitely check into the Butler County gargoyle. Yeah, it sounds intriguing, you know, because we think of gargoyles, of course, we always think of like, you know, medieval Europe and the, those little gargoyles right. that are hanging out over the uh, buildings. Here. Uh, so that's the gargoyle perhaps is, is I guess, uh, based on a, a real beast, then, according to uh, this reporter, anyways. Maybe there were gargoyles at one time. It, it's quite possible because generally, you know, what people see, they recreate. So somebody at some point saw something and that's what gave them the idea to sculpt the gargoyles and to, um, you know, detail them in such a way to have that look. Mm -hmm. It's all intriguing stuff. And so do you have any new projects coming up? Um, just, uh, more magazines coming out, um, this summer, I will be doing a event on Saturday here in Michigan called chaos con. It will be in, uh, Novi Wald Lake, um, Michigan. So you can find information on that on my Facebook page. Mm -hmm. And then I will just be traveling throughout the summer. So, um, that's about, uh, it for, that um, also I'll be offering different online classes uh, throughout the summer. So you can check those out um, on my Facebook page. No, excellent. Uh, we, we have just about run out of time. I, I would a quick question though. Has there ever been reports of someone dying from a uh, sea serpent or, or a lake monster? So the only problem with um, that scenario is in order for a report to be made, of seeing a cryptid, interacting with a cryptid, being injured by a cryptid, the person experiencing it has to make it back to civilization and make the report. Okay. So we can we can kind of guess, you know, oh, this ship looks like a, a hole's been, you know, cracked into the side of it and we can't find any survivors. Mm -hmm. Maybe that was a, a lake monster, you know. So um, really, if we don't have anybody living to tell the tale, then we really don't have any report. Well, and we are out of time, unfortunately. So I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we've been speaking with uh, Chetan uh, Noah. And uh, check her out. Uh, check out her website. She's got some fascinating books if you love cryptoids and this stuff, uh, sea monsters and everything. And uh, thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. Uh, today's show is brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 286 Merrimack Street, Bethlehem, Massachusetts, and our very good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio or on Patreon. Become a member, and just like PBS, be a supporter. Thank you very much. Good night. God bless, and we'll see you next week.
From goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord. This is 